talk about slobber knocking fights. Ground and pound. Rear naked chokes. Plug your ears if you don't want to hear it. It's coming up next, another brand new episode of Sucker Radio. This is MMA fight music producer Mikey Ruckus, and you are listening to another edition of Sucker Radio with your host, Jeremy Brand. Be sure to catch all your mixed martial arts news and interviews and updates at www.mmasucker.com. I can't believe this. What is up, suckas? We are back. Another episode of Sucker Radio here on MMASucker.com. I am your host, as always, Jeremy Brand. And I'm going to kick things off a little differently this week. We are going to talk about my sponsors right off the hop. Yes, that's right. You know it. DraftKings.com. All you longtime listeners know that I'm going to talk about DraftKings. So buckle up, and here are the deals. This week, you know, UFC Fight Night 62 goes down. You might not know a hell of a lot about it because it's uh, one of those Brazil cards that's sort of flying under the radar. Well, maybe not under the radar. No one really cares about it. But uh, $3 to enter this week, a $20,000 prize pool. First place takes home $2,000 for just 3 that $3 entry fee will be waived if it is your first time deposit. Uh, the top 1540 will uh, take home money. It's guaranteed, which is pretty damn good. The contest starts Saturday, March 21st at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time. And as always, it is a salary cap drafting style. That means $50,000 to select your five favorite fighters from the UFC Fight Night 62 card. The main event of that card, Ryan, Vla- Ryan LaFleur, Eric Silva, may be the only two fighters on the card that you know, so maybe not your five favorite fighters, but the five fighters that have the best names. DraftKings.com, as always, enter in the promo code MMASUCKA, that's M-M-A-S-U-C-K-A, and you will get a 100% bonus back up to $600. That means if you throw in 20 bucks, 25 bucks, 100 bucks, you will get 100% back on your first time deposit if you enter in the promo code MMA sucker. So that's that. On to the show. Joining me in a few minutes here will be Bleacher Report's lead writer, Jeremy Botter. I'm excited about this one because he doesn't do a hell of a lot of podcasts, radio interviews, whatnot, but he'll be joining me in a few minutes here to discuss this past weekend's UFC 185 card. We'll go in depth on that card. I'm not going to talk about it too much right now because I want to talk to Jer about it. Um, It was an awesome card. I, I loved it from top to bottom. The entire preliminary card were finishes. The main card was filled with decisions other than the co-main event, but you know it had some serious talent. Uh, in the main event, Rafael Dos Anjos dropping Anthony Pettis from his title reign. Yes, that's right. Rafael Dos Anjos is the new 155-pound champion. And in the co-main event, Joanna Youngjevich. Yes, I said it. Youngjevich. Uh, she took home the 115-pound strawweight women's championship, absolutely demolishing Carla Esparza. So I'll chat with Jeremy Botter about that in a little bit. Um, Also joining me later in the show is Ryan Couture. Yes, that's right. Randy Couture's son. Uh, He's been in the game for a long time now, and uh, he'll join me to discuss his sophomore outing at Bellator 135 
next weekend. Uh, should be a fun one. He's riding a three-fight winning streak right now. So hopefully he gets another one, and, and he'll climb the rankings with Bellator. Justin Pirro, as always, gives us his unpopular opinions, and this week he'll be joined by Fox Sports' own Damon Martin. Uh, I love to have Damon on the show. I've chat with him myself a few times. Uh, Justin has him on. This will be the second time that Justin chats with him for unpopular opinions. If you don't know what unpopular opinions are, sit back, relax, strap on the seatbelt, and listen to what these guys are going to talk about. So without further ado, kicking things off, I am joined by the lead MMA writer of Bleacher Report and a man with possibly the best first name in the MMA industry, Mr. Jeremy Botter. Thanks for joining me today, man. Yeah, man. I have a I have a policy um, where, I mean, I don't do a lot of radio and stuff these days, but I have a policy that anybody... Anybody named Jeremy, they want me to come on the show, I'm automatically going to come on the show. <laughs> there you go. Well, I completely appreciate that. Uh, so, yeah, definitely thanks for joining me. Um, we had a stacked um, card this past weekend that turned out to be an absolutely rocking UFC 185. What were your thoughts on, on the show before we get into fight by fight, but what were your thoughts on the show as an overall whole pay-per-view? Uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I've kind of taken the tact lately of um, when I watch pay-per-views. I used to watch them at home, but now I try to get out and go to various sports bars here in Las Vegas just so I can kind of see uh, what the vibe is. And, as you know, and I, you know, I'm a big proponent of the fact that the, the people that the UFC are targeting are uh, casual fans. They're not the hardcore fans that order every show. And so I can kind of get a sense going to sports bars um, how interested – people are uh for the rousey fight a few weeks ago i mean it was absolutely packed couldn't even get a table um standing or rolling kind of thing but this one it was kind of uh it's kind of empty and i don't want to say empty there were people there but it was you know it was far less people um than there were for the rousey fight and, you know i mean look this was a stacked card from a fight perspective for a hardcore fight fan this was a fantastic card but i kept telling people from a from a name value perspective this this card was not that stacked and and it had two title fights on it, which which I mean should be to a casual fan. You see that you think, oh my goodness, there are two title title fights on one card. Yet it doesn't end up being that way. I mean, we we have two title fights yeah. on the next card as well. Which more than likely, if you're going to a bar in Vegas to watch uh, the two lighter weight classes, it's going to be even more empty than this one was. Yeah, the thing is, is like fans, casual fans don't care about title fights. They honestly do not care. History has shown us what they care about are stars. They care about names. They care about interesting storylines that they can get involved with emotionally. Um, and that's, you know, historically the biggest UFC fights of all featured those things. That's like guys like Brock Lesnar, you know, I mean, even CM Punk, you know, make fun of the, make fun of them for, for signing their guy. But like, I mean, he's going to pull in 800,000 pay-per-view buys for his very first fight. That's, that's what they, they're after. Title fights, uh, they just, they don't care. Especially when one of them is a strawweight title, um, you know, who a champion who is probably as far as the bless her heart. She's very nice, but is incredibly boring. Um, and you know, I we can talk about that more in a second when we get into the Joanna Young Jacek winning the fight. But I mean, you know, I think maybe that she could be a star um, that they connect with. But going into this card, no, they they weren't connecting with as far as they weren't connecting with Pettis. You know, I mean, yeah, he's been champion for a while, but he also hadn't fought in a long time. That's for- just uh, kind of the way things are. Yeah, for sure. Let's skip over that first fight on the pay-per-view and head right into the heavyweight matchup between Alistair Overeem, Roy Nelson. 
I was impressed with both fighters um, from different standpoints. Roy Nelson for the fact that he continuously pushed forward and, and kept getting clocked and able to come forward. We know he's not going to get knocked out by Alistair Overeem. Well, he shouldn't. And Alistair Overeem playing it sort of safe against Roy Nelson. Um, were you impressed by both men, or, or did one sort of stand out more than the other? I was more impressed by Alistair Overeem's performance just because uh, he fought a smart fight. And, you know, that's what we've seen him develop as he's gotten on to Jackson's. He's more defensive. And, you know, while it's less pleasing to watch, it's, it's smart. I mean, the guy was losing types and getting knocked out. Uh, the, the point of this whole thing is not just to knock people out and have exciting fights. It's also to protect yourself. And that's what he's doing. And, and I like that. I like that he was picking his spots. I did not like that he turned and ran away. That was kind of ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> I do like that. You know, I mean, I like that he picks his spots and, he would land. I mean, almost every time he threw a flying knee or a knee to the body or a body kick, I mean, he was he was lighting Nelson up, and I think that was smart. And on the other hand, I don't think Roy Nelson fought a smart fight at all. I think that there were two moments in the fight where he could have conceivably really damaged over him and maybe even gone for a finish, and instead he dropped down for a takedown. Yeah. And I, I still don't even I still don't understand what was going through his head when he did that. Uh, I don't, you know, I mean, I'm not a fighter. I'm not in the cage with him. Maybe he saw something I didn't see, but. To me, watching on television at home, it sure looked like he had a chance to really, you know, make a uh, put an impact on each of those two rounds, the last two rounds, and he just didn't do it. He dropped for a takedown. It was it was pretty strange. Especially the one in the third round. I mean, if he had if he he absolutely rocked over him with that punch, and and if he had continued to throw punches, he probably would have been able to finish him, even though there was only about ten seconds left. I think it had to do more with the gas tank. Yeah, I mean, and that's always a concern with Roy. You know, I mean, he, he is in better shape than one would think just by looking at him from the eyeball test, you know, but uh, he's not in great shape. He'll never be in great shape. He's always going to get tired, and he's always going to resort to just throwing that right hand. That's what he does now. He, he's turned into a a right-hand puncher, like just that right overhand bomb, and that's what he looks for. And over he knew it was coming because he's coming a mile away, and, you know, never really got caught by that. He got caught by other things, but – Never really got caught by Nelson's signature punch. It's Jameis to Roy, you know, that he has kind of evolved into that fighter. Uh, I understand why, though. It keeps him, it keeps him employed. It keeps him in exciting fights, and you know that's that's what he's after. For sure. Now, Johnny Hendricks uh, returned to the win column with a victory over Matt Brown. Dana White wasn't impressed with his performance. I thought he put on a decent performance, even if it was a tad bit boring. He went back to his bread and butter, took him down, grinded out a victory. What did you think of Johnny Hendricks? You know, it was certainly boring, Jeremy, but, I mean, the the, the thing about Johnny Hendricks, like, Matt Brown was not, this was not a gimme for Johnny Hendricks. Matt Brown, uh, Matt Brown really impressed me even more than Johnny Hendricks just because that's a guy who, was left for dead years ago, you know, three years yeah. ago was left for dead and has really become an outstanding world-class welterweight fighter. And it's, it's, it's shocking to see. And it's awesome to see. And I thought he did pretty well against Hendricks given the wrestling deficiencies that he was always going to face. You know, I mean, he was always going to have a tough time. If Hendricks wanted to resort to that wrestling, he was always going to have a tough time. It's like pretty much anybody will against Johnny Hendricks. You know, if he really focuses on the wrestling, you can't really stop him. Um, and Matt Brown was going to have a tough time with that. And so because of that, I was more impressed with Matt Brown. But, you know, look, Hendricks needed a win. Uh, he needed to get back in the win column and keep staying in the win column. Uh, but he's going to have to keep – I mean, honestly, I don't think he did enough to, to earn a title shot. I mean, no. I think Tyron Woodley is more – I think Tyron Woodley is more likely to get a title fight next, uh, you know, uh, over Johnny Hendricks. I mean, I think he needed to go in and make a statement. And when you've got 
when you've got Dana White sitting Tateside talking about how boring the fight is, that does not bode well for your future chances for a championship fight. You don't think we see Hendricks Woodley next? You might see that. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's probably the most likely option. But I mean, I think like if you had to pick between the two, who would you pick? I would pick Woodley. Yeah, because, for sure. You know, he's going to go out there and he's going to go out there and he's going to try to, you know, knock somebody out at least. I mean, most of the time, sometimes Tyron craps the bed and he shows up and, uh, doesn't do that at all. And it's inexplic- inexplicable. And he's never really been able to explain why he shows up that flat. Um, but he does. But yeah, I mean, you know, you pick between the two, I think with Henderson, his performance, I don't, I don't, I don't think that rematch with Robbie Lawler or Rory McDonald at this point is, is, uh, is a given by any means of the imagination. No, not for, not with that performance in the back of your mind, especially also with the performance against Lawler in the back of your mind as well. Yeah, I mean that's exactly right. Like that's you know two kind of stinkers in a row for Tony. Um, I think he's probably going to need to get out there and knock somebody out, or at least try to knock somebody out uh, before he before he's considered again. All right, women's strawweights Joanna Jojic defeating champion Carla Esparza um, in dominant fashion. He she she sort of made her look um, amateurish. She she made her look like nothing was in the cage with her. I saw the striking statistics and and those were as lopsided as, as I've ever seen. I mean, this was a ridiculous matchup. Uh, do you think that uh, this chick could be the Ronda Rousey of the strawweight division? I do, actually. I'll tell you what, I, I wrote a I wrote a column about that today, or I included that in the column that I, that I wrote today. I, I mean, uh, going into this fight, I knew that if Carla Esparza did not get young Jacek to the ground, that she was going to have a real tough time. Because, you know, to be frank... Joanna Young Jacek might be the best striker in the UFC, period. I mean, the best pure striker. She's a multiple time Muay Thai world champion, multiple time European Muay Thai champion. She's a phenomenal striker. You know, and yeah, she's 115 pounds, and yeah, she's in a female division, but she might be the best pure striker in the UFC at this point. You know, I mean, we look at Overeem, but I mean, his striking, which used to be K1 level, has kind of devolved at this point. So I look at her as one of the, the best strikers in the, in the whole company, maybe in all of mixed martial arts. Um, yeah, I knew that if Esparza did not get her down, she was gonna, she was gonna suffer, and she did. I didn't think that it would go like that, though. I mean, seventeen takedown attempts, yeah, in a round and in a round and a half, and only got one of them like that. That's crazy. And I knew I knew Joanna had fantastic takedown defense. I mean, I watched her here in Vegas training over at Robert Drysdale's gym, and her sprawl is awesome. Uh, and you know, you saw it. You saw it in the fight. You saw that same sprawl that I saw in practice. You saw it in the fight. Um, and I think once Carla got about her fifth or sixth takedown uh, stuff, she went into desperation mode, just <laughs> as we saw her do in the Ultimate Fighter. That's what she does. She goes into desperation mode. Uh, and at that point, I was just begging for the fight to be stopped because I knew that it was going to get ugly. No kidding. And I, I guess at this point, with Joanna being the champion and whatnot, the UFC commentating team needs to learn how to pronounce her name a little better, correct? Well, it's actually, I mean, I have, so I've got a buddy that works in the Zupa production department. He sends me, uh, before every event, they, they share, they have each fighter pronounce their own name, and they record, they record it, and that's for the announcers. Oh, yeah? Um, and, yeah, yeah, and so I actually get that from him before every card. If you're ever interested in that, let me know. I, I, can, I can send you some of those things. It, it really is a help, you know, I mean, especially with, with fights like this one where you have, fighter you know larissa pacheco they actually yeah. americanize it it's actually <laughs> harissa but they actually americanize it to where it's larissa pacheco uh, and that's her choice but 
Yeah, Joanna. Yo- it's actually Joanna Young J Chick. Like Young J Chick. Those three, and it's the weirdest name ever. It took me a long time to actually figure out how to say it, but then I, I, I got the audio file of her saying it, and it, it is. It's Young J Chick. <laughs> so they were actually, I mean, Goldberg wasn't 100% accurate, but Rogan was mostly accurate. He's got it down. Yeah, Rogan was pretty good. I think I heard Goldberg say it about six different ways throughout the throughout the night. Yeah, and that's the thing is Goldberg. I don't think pays attention to those audio files very much. <laughs> um, those things are those things are actually a byproduct. John Anik is the one who asked him to start doing it so that he could know the names uh, because he you know he wants to be able to pronounce people's names right because that's part of the job. So he uh, they've been doing that for the past couple of years, and it really is a big help. No kidding. Main event, Rafael Dos Anjos defeating Anthony Pettis. Another one, a bit of a shocker. I mean, there were people picking RDA to win this fight, but not in that fashion. Were were you surprised that he was able to dominate all five rounds? I was I was shocked. Yeah. Um, in hindsight, <laughs> I shouldn't have been. In hindsight, it's clear that Anthony Pettis does not deal well with pressure. And we saw Gilbert Melendez try to do the same the same game plan, although Gilbert's was more wrestling-based and that ended up being his down, downfall. Um, but, you know, we saw, I mean, that's he doesn't deal well with pressure. Uh, he's going to have to go back to the gym and, and, and learn how to deal with pressure because his thing is, like, he needs space. He needs, like, he's like Anderson Silva. He needs counter-striking space. He needs, you know, he's got that back kick that he throws without any, without any lead-up. But if he doesn't have any space to throw that, then he can't, he can't throw it, you know? I mean, uh, and so Dosanjo's fought a brilliant, brilliant game plan, I thought. And in hindsight, it's even more brilliant. I mean, and, and not only that, but Dosanjo's is a guy who, you want to talk about a fighter who has evolved? Like, it's, it's insane to see how much better he has gotten training under Javier Cordero. He's incredible uh, just to watch what he's done. And, yeah, I mean, I thought, honestly, I thought after first, the first two rounds, sitting there watching it, I was telling the people at the table with me, I was like, hey, look, this is what he does. He's like Anderson Silva. He, he's like a computer. He's analyzing the guy. You know, he, he's figuring out distance and space and openings. And then he'll strike and he'll finish him here in the next round or two. And that <laughs> didn't happen, clearly. <laughs> you know, um, and so I was, I was in shock. I mean, but by the end of the fifth round, it was like, well, this is, this is a one-sided ass beating is what this is. Yeah, no kidding. It was, it was definitely a one-sided ass beating. Do you, do you see Dos Anjos as, as a guy that can be that title holder for, for a long tenure? Or do you think the lightweight division is going to be a bit of a rotating door? No, I mean, I don't think... I think, you know, I think what you're going to see now is I think you're going to see Khabib Nurmagomedov uh, beat Donald Cerrone from pillar to post. And then I think you're going to see him beat Dos Anjos again. I really do. Um, I, just, I think Khabib is going to be a title holder. And I don't know if he'll hold it for a long time. But I think he would beat Pettis. I mean, he's got the same exact kind of game plan as Dos Anjos, but he's better at wrestling. So that I just I don't know, man. Dos Anjos, I think Dos Anjos and Khabib, strangely enough, are going to be the class of this division for a couple of years. You know, I mean, and I think there's a good chance, honestly, that Anthony Pettis goes down to featherweight now uh, because there's bigger money fights for him. I think I think you're going to see him go down and you know face Jose Aldo or Conor McGregor. I mean, Chad, I mean Chad, they are stable mates and and whatnot in the management. Like those are actually big fights for him. Yeah, there bigger fights. At, there's bigger fights for him at featherweight than there are at at 155. I know. So you I said, think yeah. that's what you're going to see at some point. I don't know if it'll be next, but I think at some point in the next 12 to 15 months, that's what you're going to see. I know you said is sort of from a marketing standpoint, Pettis wasn't way up there. Guys like Dos Anjos and Khabib, do you think they are going to be that marketable for the 155 pound division? 
No, I mean, Khabib could be like, you know, he's got a real, I'm sure you've talked to him before. He's got a real, real interesting personality and he talks a lot of crap. And I think if they can highlight that, I think he could be a real big star. Uh, But there's always the fact that, you know, his English isn't perfect and that's always going to hinder him. Um, But I mean, I think internationally, I think he could be a big star. Dos Anjos, I think the jury's out on that one. I mean, I, you know, (laughs) unless he gets many spectacular finishes in a row. I, I, I don't know. I don't know that he can be that star. I mean, you know, it, guys who are a hundred below 170 pounds are already, they have the size issue working, you know, working against them. They're already, they're already up against the wall when it comes to trying to be a star. You know, uh, it takes a little bit of extra effort compared to the guys who are bigger, just because we do have a size bias as a society. It's always been that way. Um, except in boxing, as we see the smaller guys, are the champions. But I mean, honestly, that's because there's no, real like uh marquee talent and heavyweight you know i mean i think the heavyweight division i think would be the biggest division in boxing if it, you know if they had stars and that's the problem is like the 155 and 145 now 145 finally does have a star conor mcgregor but yeah. i don't even think jose aldo's a star um i think frankie edgar is something of a star i think uriah faber if he chooses to stay there is a star um but 155 man it's just kind of a a barren land. There's really, really good fighters that, you know, from one to 15, uh, but there's no stars. Speaking on that point, I, I, I tweeted to you today that I was, I was really impressed with your piece on Cain Velasquez and Fabricio Verdum sort of generating no interest. So they are the heavyweight. They are the pinnacle of the sport. Why do you think that this fight is not garnering the attention it should? I, I know you wrote it in your piece, but just sort of speak on it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I tried to lay it out. I think there's several reasons that it could be. Um, I think one, Cain Velasquez is absent. You know, he's fought four times in the last four years or whatever it's been, um, which is insane. You know, that's, I think at, it's like I said in the story. You know, in relationships, they say absence makes the heart grow fonder, but in, in, in sports, absence just makes you forget about it and move on to the next thing. That's kind of the way that we work. And so he's been out of the limelight for a long time repeatedly for a long time. Um, and then there's also Fabrizio Verdum just hasn't really connected with, with fans yet. You know, I, and I, I think he can, he has a ton of personality. He's a funny dude. He speaks three languages fluently. Uh, there's no reason he can't be a star other than the fact that he will not beat Cain Velasquez. Um, <laughs> but outside of that, he could be a star, you know, and I, I, I mean, really, I think, I think honestly, the fact that Kane has just been out for so long, I think that's your main, I think that's your main issue. I think that, He's been out so long that people said, okay, well, like this guy's awesome, but we haven't seen him fight, you know, but two times in the last three or four years, like two times in the last three years anyway, um, you know, we're going to look at this guy, John Jones, you know, look at, look at Johnny Hendricks. Look at the, I mean, I think he, and Ronda Rousey, obviously the biggest star in the UFC. Um, These people fight regularly. I think that's the biggest thing working against them. And plus, I think people are looking forward, honestly, people are really looking forward to Aldo and McGregor. I mean, that's a, that's going to be a huge fight. Um, that is going to be a huge fight for the UFC. I think that I, unless they can book Ronda Rousey against Gina Carano, I think that's the UFC's biggest fighter this year, maybe even next year. I mean, it's wow. a huge fight. Yeah. So I, I think there's just a lot, there's a lot going against that, that Mexico city card. For sure. Okay. One last thing this weekend, we have UFC fight night 62. It's, it's not something that's in a lot of people's minds. It's uh Ryan LaFleur, Damian Maya in the main event, which you know, it, it's not the matchup that they were hoping for in this main event, but it is the main event. What do you think Brazil is sort of get not getting shafted in this card, but overall they're not getting the cards that they used to get? 
Yeah, I mean, that's what happens. When the, the UFC breaks into a market, they always give you a fantastic card. And then when they realize that people will repeatedly buy tickets, that's when they start giving you crap cards. Other than here in happens. Vancouver. Yeah, they just start giving you crap cards. Like, I mean, you know, look at Canada. Like, I mean, they gave all great cards, and then they started slowly yeah. devaluing the, the the quality of them. That's the way it. That's the way it goes. Like, yeah, you know what? Just as a side note, it's I can't wait for this. Vancouver's my favorite city in North America. Well, besides, okay, Montreal number one, Vancouver number two. Those are my two favorite cities. I love I love both of them. But I, I just I'm gonna be re- dude. Like, I'm not even gonna watch this fight card this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I, and I know that. People say, "Oh, it's your job," but, you're, but like, I get a day off that day. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna use. I'm not gonna use my day off to to go in and watch a fight card that I don't know anybody. I mean, I, I think there's some intriguing fights, and I'll probably go back and watch some of them later on. Uh, but I mean, it's not gonna be appointment viewing for me. But it's rare that UFC cards are appointment viewing these days, honestly. Yeah, there are literally. I mean, I'm looking at the preliminary card right now, and there's maybe two or three names that I know of. Yeah, that's. I started looking at that and I was like, "Well, I'm not watching that. I'm going to go and hang out with my friends instead and do something else." Like, I, I'll come back and watch what I need to watch. You know, I mean, I'm, I'll end up seeing plenty of the fights at some point, but like, I'm not going to watch it live. It's just, it's just not. But, and I just said that, like, you know, UFC's not been appointment television lately. But man, I'm telling you what, coming up over the next four or five months, there are some ridiculous pay-per-views. Yeah, <laughs> ridiculous pay-per-views, and that Fox card next month is ridiculous. Too. Hopefully, so, hopefully uh, they all they stay seem, intact. Yeah, knock on wood. They seem to have a new booking philosophy, and I really like it, stacking up these cards. I don't know how long they can keep it going like that, uh, but for now, I'm really enjoying it. You think they're doing that? They, they, they're obviously doing that just in case there are injuries, eh? Yeah, I mean, obviously. Yeah, well, okay, I have a a theory, and this is totally unsubstantiated, right? <laughs> this is just me. This is just me speculating. Uh, so anybody listening out there, I'm not saying that this is the case, uh, but my theory is we have this new drug testing policy kicking into effect in, in July, and it is going to change the face of the UFC drastically. The the next, from this July, coming July to next July, is going to be a, a very painful time for the UFC. Very painful. Uh, going to be a lot of guys failing tests. It's going to be ugly. So my thinking is, what they're doing now is they're giving all their big stars fights to get them all out of the way before July, before the random drug testing starts. That's just my theory. Uh, don't hold me no, Don't quote me on it. That's just, just a thought that I had. He is Jeremy Botter, lead MMA writer for Bleacher Report. Man, it's been a pleasure. I know you have a bunch more uh, stuff going on in your writing game. Um, just let people know where they can get a hold of you in the social media universe, as well as uh, all those other sites that you're writing for. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I write for, for two sites. I write for Bleacher Report. Um, well, that, I'm sorry. From MMA, you can find my stuff at Bleacher Report. You can also find it in the Houston Chronicle in the newspaper if you live in Houston. Otherwise, you can find it on the website, cron.com. I also cover gadgets and alcohol and other fun things for pokernews.com, so you can find that on there. And I am at Jeremy Botter on Twitter. And don't add me on Facebook because I want to check your friend of class. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Honesty is a is, you, is a honesty. You, I will, Jeremy. Jeremy Brand, you, I will. But the, I get random, I get random ads from people all the time, and I'm like, man, I, I, I use my Facebook for people that I know, you know, and I've met, and I, you know, I, that's just weird. Facebook's a weird thing, anyway. Honesty is a good quality, my friend. Uh, and thank you very much for joining me today. It was a pleasure. Um, hope to have you on again, and have fun this weekend on your day off. 
Yeah, man, I appreciate it. You have a good week. This man has fought for a number of major organizations and is now calling Bellator his home. Please welcome Ryan Couture back to Sucker Radio. Ryan, thanks for joining me today, man. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, you made your Bellator debut last September. You made quick work of your opponent, finishing him off with a rear naked choke in the very first round. Why such a long layoff after that fight? Um, I got married in October, so I asked for a little time there. and then, Congratulations. Uh, by the time I, uh, what's that, sorry? I said congratulations. Oh, thank you. Um, and then by the time I threw, the, threw my name back in the hat, uh, or my hat back in the ring, sorry, for another fight, uh, the January card had already filled up, so I had to hold off until, uh, until the end of May. Now, it, it'll be six months, give or take, uh, since that last performance. It's the longest layoff of your career in some time. I know there was a bit of a layoff uh, between some of your earlier fights in your career. Did you learn anything about your game and yourself as a fighter during this six-month time period? Uh, definitely have spent some great time in the gym, kind of, you know, workshopping a few different positions and trying to sharpen up my tools, and uh, hopefully we'll have some new tricks to show for it come uh, the 27th. Uh, definitely looking forward to getting back in there and testing out the, the work I've been putting in. Now, you, you fought for Strikeforce in the past. Now that Bellator is run by former Strikeforce owner Scott Coker, how similar do you see the two promotions from when you were back with Strikeforce back in the day? Uh, there's definitely plenty of similarities. It's it's def- it's got that uh, kind of familiar familiar feel. It was kind of like coming back home in a lot of ways. Uh, but there's some differences too, some different personnel, and, and a lot of great people with Bellator that I've just now worked with for the one fight. But so far, I couldn't be happier with my experience. It's been fantastic. Do you deal with much of the behind-the-scenes stuff, or, or do you just focus on the fighting aspect? Uh, I just, you know, show up and, and do as I'm told as far as preparing the pre-fight video packages and that kind of stuff and, and get myself on weight and then get ready to fight. So, you know, I, my interaction with the with the production staff is minimal, but, but I just try and uh, try and do the best I can to make sure the show's promoted properly and that I put on the best performance I'm able to. For sure. Now, at Bellator 135, you'll be taking on... Dakota Cochran, how do you feel about getting into the cage with a former male porn star? Will you be trash talking about that in the clinch? No, not at all. Um, <laughs> it is what it is. Everybody, everybody does what they have to do to make ends meet, and and that's got nothing to do with the fight. So, uh, I see uh, more importantly than any of that, a, a very dangerous, experienced opponent that's going to be across the cage from me, and I got to be ready to deal with the challenge that he presents. Do you do any talking in the cage, or, or just with your fists? Just with my fist, that's too much extra effort. i got to focus on breathing so I don't run out of gas. <laughs> now, the two of you have been in this sport professionally for you know about the same amount of time. However, he has a few more fights under his belt than you do. Um, have you watched much of his body of work, and, and what are your thoughts on him as a fighter? Uh, I've seen probably four or five of his more recent fights, um, and I, I've been impressed. He's, he's really tough. He's very durable. Uh, he comes out fast and aggressive, so I got to be ready to weather that early storm, and and uh, I think drag him into deep water, try and slow him down a little bit, and start finding my spots to really take over and turn the tide. I think uh, he's definitely kind of going to come out aggressive and and be a handful early on, and and uh, I have to be ready for that. So we've been working hard in in camp, preparing, uh, preparing, trying to neutralize his strengths and and play to mine, and get into positions where I know I'm dominant, and and uh, then I'll be able to go to work from there. You've been working with anyone specifically for Dakota in camp? 
Um, been spending a lot of time. I've uh, been really fortunate, actually, to have Gray Maynard back with the team. So, oh, so nice. To do a lot of drilling and technique and, and get some rounds in with him has been fantastic experience for me. Um, you know, being a, a big, strong, powerful guy who's also a dominant wrestler, I think uh, in a lot of ways he's a better version of Dakota. Dakota likes to come out swinging heavy, throwing heavy leather, and uh, and shoot that takedown, and he's dangerous on top. So I feel like I've got an even better version of that uh, to train with day in and day out, and, and that's got me feeling confident that I'm going to be ready for it. When, when did Gray make the transition back to Extreme Couture? Uh, it's been probably... I would ballpark maybe three or four months now. Um, he's, he's had his full training camp for his fight coming up. He fights a week after me. So it's worked out really well, the timing, uh, to, to be able to spend so much time kind of picking his brain and, and you know, taking lumps off of him. He's, he's a tough guy to train with, but uh, it's been really good for me. He's got me feeling confident going into this fight. Nice. Now, it seems like the, the lightweight division is stacked in no matter what organization you're looking at. With with a win on March 27th, you'll be riding a four-fight winning streak, two under the Bellator banner. Where do you think it puts you within the promotion's 155-pound rankings? I think it's going to put me right in line for another tough fight, and I think if I can string you know two or three, maybe four wins together against some of their better guys, then I'm going to be in the conversation for a title shot. And that's really exciting to me. I think, uh, I think a strong year this year puts me right in the position to do some big things next year. So I'm just going to keep grinding away and, and, uh, keep uh, doing my best to take out uh, tougher and tougher guys that they'll put in front of me. And, and I think, uh, that's going to lead to a lot of exciting opportunities for me. This will be your first fight of the calendar year. How many would you like this year? Ideally, I'd like to get at least three in this year. So you know, I got to make sure that I, come out physically okay to get right back in the gym after this one and then I'll be able to start pushing to stay busy and and not have another long layoff. Now with Bellator building themselves up to be you know a legitimate contender with the UFC are you you content with your career under their banner or is the ultimate goal to get back with Zufa? I'm very happy with Bellator they're treating me well and and taking good care of me and and I think Spike TV is a fantastic place to to show off my skills so um, I'm happy where I'm at and and uh just continuing to work my way up the ladder. I think there's a lot of really exciting challenges and, and opportunities ahead of me uh, under the Bellator banner, and, and I'm looking forward to making the most of it. I couldn't agree more. Now, looking back at your career, um, how much do you appreciate the early days with Strikeforce having the whole Challenger series? Because personally, I think there, other promotions should utilize sort of that same strategy with, with a Challengers-type thing, um, and, and they should have done the same thing with other organizations. Yeah, I think it was a fantastic thing they were doing, kind of running their own farm system, and and you know it was it was a really great opportunity for me to to get that feel and that experience of fighting on a on a really properly run uh, show that was you know on a on a good platform like Showtime, getting a lot of viewers and and high production value, um, while still getting that level of competition that you need when you're just starting out and kind of trying to cut your teeth as a, as a fighter and. You know, I I, uh, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. I think it really really put me in a good position uh, for the next stage in my career, which ended up coming a little faster than maybe would have been ideal uh, with Strikeforce being bought out. I think the learning curve got real steep real fast, but but I think those first few fights uh, at least got some of those jitters of fighting under the lights out of my system and and put me in a position where I was able to face those next challenges that came up. You know, do, I, I think it's fantastic, and I'd love to see more shows do something similar. Yeah, do do those lights and, and stuff like that still have an effect on you? I mean, you know, some performers say they come out there and, and they always get those butterflies in their stomach. Are are you of that nature, or, or are you content? 
Uh, well, you should always have butterflies, I think. It, it would be weird if, if I ever just felt completely calm and at ease back there. I would feel like something was wrong. So, you know, before any major uh, competition or even a performance or if it was a public speaking engagement, I would have the same kind of butterflies. It's that kind of nervous energy or that excitement to, to go and perform. Um, but I think having been there before and, and, and been under the lights and, and been in front of the crowds definitely makes it, uh, shifts it so it's not overwhelming and it doesn't get the better of you. And, and that way I'm, I'm better suited to cope with those, those emotions and those nerves that come along with it. It, it, you spoke about Gray Maynard being back with Extreme Couture. It seems like the team has found a bit of a resurgence. Uh, what do you think this is a result of? Uh, I think uh, the gym coming under new management uh, with Eric Nixick uh, and then bringing in Robert Follis in addition to Dennis Davis, who's been with us from day one, and, and the way the three of them have kind of bonded together and worked together to foster a team environment. Uh, we also still have Ray Seffo coming in and helping out with striking on, on sparring days and He's invaluable to the team as well to have his wealth of knowledge and experience. Uh, and then Kyle Griffin running the wrestling side. Uh, but I think that the major thing is just the mindset of all the coaches working together and fostering that team atmosphere and making sure everybody's here looking out for each other and and, uh, and being a, a good teammate, being a team player has has made this a place that everybody wants to be. I mean, it's, it's just such a good energy that, that you can't help but want to be here preparing and, and training and helping each other out and it's made us all better as a result, and, and that success has attracted more and more, uh, more and more bodies to the team. So, um, as long as we can keep this atmosphere and this uh, this uh, energy going, I think it's going to continue to grow, and you know we're going to need a bigger space before too long. Have any of the other older cats uh, come back to the team? Um, I'm trying to think, I don't think anybody else has come back full time. Some of those guys have moved on and retired. Jay Haran, Martin Campman. Yeah, um, and they still stop by when they're in town, and and you know when Jay's here, he he gets in and, and moves around and gets gets light work in with the team, and and is still a big help. Um, but like Tyson Griffin's got his own thing going on out in California, so he hasn't made his way back. Um, uh, Mike Pyle's still around; he, he comes in now and again, but it's not not super consistently. So, um, the the full core of the old school guys hasn't all come back around, but but we've got a really good thing going here, and and. I think it's just as strong, if not more so, than it ever was. Sounds like it. Now, finally, before I let you go here, I know you're quite the music fan. Uh, what was the last concert you went to, and and anything coming up that that you're going to be checking out? Uh, I'm drawing a blank. What was the last show I went to? Um, it's been a while. I haven't uh, I haven't gotten out much. I've been kind of a homebody lately. Uh, we went to the Life Is Beautiful festival back in October, shortly after the wedding, and that was amazing. Nice. Great weekend. Got to see. Uh, Outcast and the Foo Fighters and All J oh, and sweet. Uh, a whole bunch of a whole ton of other acts. Um, and I'm really stoked coming up. Uh, Mastodon and Clutch are touring together. They're coming to town in May, so that's the one I'm really looking forward to right now. He is Ryan Couture. He takes on Dakota Cochran on March 27th live on Spike TV at Bellator 135. Ryan, it's been a pleasure, man. Just let people know where they can get a hold of you in the social media universe. Uh, you can always track me down on Twitter and Instagram at Ryan D. Couture. Uh, you can also hit me up on my Facebook fan page. It's just Ryan Couture. Good luck on the 27th, Ryan. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Hello, everyone. It's me, Justin Pirro, back again for more unpopular opinions on Sucker Radio here at MMASucker.com, and I am being joined once again by one of the main writers over at FoxSports.com. 
He is the president of nerdcoremovement.com and one quarter of the great MMA debate. He is Mr. Damon Martin. How are you doing, Damon? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you back. So how how'd you enjoy UFC 185 on the weekend? Uh, it was a crazy night. I'm not going to lie. I mean, sitting there cage side, you never know what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, to kind of be you know witness in person to two titles changing hands, which is such a rare occurrence uh, in the UFC, was a pretty crazy evening to be sure. And uh, the prelims were amazing. You know, every fight ended in a finish. So that was great. So, yeah, it was a pretty, uh, pretty awesome night of fights. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I know, especially for a card that people weren't talking about as much as, say, a UFC 184. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it was one of those fights where, you know, you had a, a lightweight title fight with a guy who was trying to establish himself as a star in Anthony Pettis. Obviously, Rafael Dos Anjos did a great job of stealing that thunder. And then the, the women's strawweight division, you know, still young, still, you know, kind of coming up. And once again, you know, to see uh, the established champion, Carlos Barza, who everybody, myself included, believe was the number one person in the world to go down the way she did uh, to Joanna. Uh, I'm, I hope I'm saying her name correctly now. Jan Jetschik, uh was was just incredible. So, yeah, it wasn't as hyped of a car uh, because it was kind of one of those uh, championship fights, those two championship fights with, with title holders that were still kind of establishing themselves. But uh, the results were great. And uh, I think everybody, any, anybody that didn't tune in missed a, missed a great night of fights. Definitely. I agree. Uh, I know when uh, I was watching the Pettis fight with uh, my wife, she said it looked like Pettis was a punching bag for Dos Anjos. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. I mean, listen, I, I, I'm not going to lie and say I picked Dos Anjos to win because I didn't. I picked Anthony Pettis to win. I, I just thought my, my only thought about Dos Anjos going in was that he would be a tougher matchup than a lot of people were giving him credit for because he did have really nasty Muay Thai. He did have good takedowns and he did have obviously a very high level jujitsu game. Uh, I thought he had a chance to, you know, pressure Pettis at certain points and maybe win a round or two. Uh, I thought eventually Pettis would would land the shot. You know, it would be one of those kind of fun stand-up wars. But, you know, Dos Anjos approached this fight with the absolute perfect game plan. He pressured Pettis. And I think the big key to his win was he showed no fear. And I, and I think that's the big key that the people are, you know, that, that needs to be noticed with a guy like Pettis because he is such a dangerous, flashy striker uh, the guys, I think, are a little timid. I, I saw it in the Cowboy Cerrone fight. Cowboy was was was. Oh my, I, I hate to use the word scared. That's the wrong word. But you could see in his eyes that he didn't look to engage with a guy like Anthony Pettis at distance, uh, and that cost him obviously because he got picked apart in the first round. I think uh, Dos Anjos just approached it with zero fear and just attacked at will, and I think it really threw Pettis off his game because I'm sure he's not used to that. Usually, the guys that attack Pettis are attacking for a takedown. They're not attacking him standing. And, uh, and Dos Anjos did a fantastic job. Certainly. And that's the problem when you're a flashier striker. Sometimes it just takes the basics to pick you apart. And that's what Dos Anjos did. He brought the basics. I mean, Hodger Gracie preaches this for jiu-jitsu. And I, he's a guy who won a world championship using only cross-collar chokes. Yeah, I mean, it's it, 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 that that was the thing that, that a lot of people missed. And myself included, I should have given him more credit for it. But Dos Anjos has a very fundamentally sound very basic kickboxing game. Uh, you know, he doesn't go for the flash and flare. He just goes for the very fundamentally sound punches, kicks, leg kicks, you know, again, very fundamental Muay Thai game. And he learned from one of the best in the business, Master Rafael Cordero, who obviously produced a huge list of champions when he was at Shootbox. And now obviously he's working with the guys at Kings MMA in, uh, in, uh, in Orange County in California, working with Fabricio Verdum and some of those guys as well. So he's training with the best and uh, it definitely showed on Saturday night. Definitely. And uh, on the other side of the coaching spectrum, there was Duke Rufus continuing to send Pettis out even after Pettis told him he couldn't see out of his right eye. I 
I'm sorry, but I ha- I have issues with that. I know Mike Fagan brought it up for us last week. Sorry, but I just it makes me feel uneasy when you see coaches doing that, especially for a guy like Duke, who's already got one student's death on his hands. See, I completely disagree, and I and I understand where where Mike Fagan was coming with this point and bringing up the thing about Dennis Munson. But I think it's apples and oranges when you talk about, you know, a championship fight. I mean, listen, we're, we're you know, a lot of what we don't understand is, you know, for years we went we went years and years and years without really hearing what was said in corners. And I'm quite sure if you go and listen to some of the biggest boxing matches in history and you hear, you know, coaches or, or trainers in the corner with their boxers, you know, because it happens a lot more in boxing where, you know, a fighter's eye gets closed or, you know, a facial bone gets broken because obviously, you know, in boxing, that's all you're doing for 12 rounds is punching each other in the face for the most part. And, you know, I'm sure if we go back and listen to, you know, tons of, of documented, you know, tape of, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard and all the great boxers from the 80s and going into the 90s with the Mike Tysons and the Lennox Lewises and the, and the you know, the, all the different fighters, the Klitschko's, at some point we're going to hear those kind of comments where someone says, I can't see. And he says, yeah, well, do you, do you want to see or do you want to fight? There's just a motivational factor there of a coach, and you understand you know, the fighters being honest with you and telling you how they feel, but uh, I, I guarantee you uh, just because we heard it doesn't mean this is the only time it's happened. And, and you know, w- when he says he can't see, I understand that sounds bad and, and all those things, but you know, it's one of those things where you know, it, it's just like when a guy gets eye-poked and, and he makes the statement, I can't see, and immediately they stop the fight and everyone has an uprising and says – well, you know, you got to give him, you know, a minute to to clear his eye and let him, you know, let him get better. Uh, but, you know, that's the magical phrase. When you say, I can't see to the referee, they stop the fight. Uh, and then I hear the uprising of people saying, oh, you, you didn't give him time to recover. And that's garbage. And so, listen, you can't have it both ways. Uh, yeah, but it, there's nothing in the unified rules about getting time after an eye poke. It's only if you're kicked in the balls. But yeah, but, I'm, but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, that's the magical phrase. When you say, I can't see, they're supposed to stop the fight. And, and we hear it all the time. Fans and everybody gets, you know, really upset when, you know, guys aren't given. I mean, I think that's a rule that should change. And I poke should allow, you know, a few minutes for a guy to recover more than just, you know, 30 seconds or a minute. You know, give a guy a minute. I mean, I've been poked in the eye before and, you know, it gives me, you know, two or three minutes and I get cleared up and I'm fine. But in that initial, you know, few seconds when you first get poked your eyes watering up you can't barely open your eye it sucks uh but i mean listen to to sit here and say that you know we should you know take duke rufus to task for for you know sending him back out there you know that's just corner chatter and i guarantee i I would bet you a million dollars if you talked to anthony pettis today and said do you wish you would have stopped the fight he would have said hell no uh that's that's not you know that that's that's having those kind of you know corner conversations that's part of the sport you know that's like a guy saying uh, you know, my foot's my foot's broken or, or, you know, I broke my hand. He's not saying it in a way to stop the fight. He's saying it in a way to let his coach know what's going on so he can coach around that, so he can get around that in the fight. Uh, you know, Uriah Faber is a great case when he fought Mike Brown the second time. Both of his hands were broken. Uh, he told his corner that in between rounds, and, and, you know, they didn't stop the fight. They just told him, you know, what he needed to do different. And guess what? Uriah showed the heart of a lion and went out there and fought the rest. Listen, this is a this is a dangerous sport. No matter how you cut it, you know you're getting punched and kicked, and 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 all these things are happening to your body. But I guarantee you, there's not a fighter in the world in that moment in a championship fight telling his coach he can't see or telling his coach he has a broken hand that he would want the fight stopped at that moment. I think you would see more guys like an Anthony Pettis leave a trainer over something like that. Uh, and yes, there are documented cases where guys should throw in the towel. Junior Dos Santos and Cain Velasquez three is a prime example where a guy is just getting battered 
inside the cage. And at that point, you're like, throw in the towel and stop the fight. I don't disagree with that because at that point, it was over. Junior just wasn't falling to the ground. He was just getting beaten and battered on the feet. And at some point, you got to say enough's enough. But that's not the case with Pettis. Yes, he got popped in the eye. Yes, in the corner, he happened to say, I can't see. But I guarantee you, there's been a million documented cases of this throughout MMA and boxing history where a guy has told his coach something, and I guarantee you, they still didn't want to stop the fight. They just wanted to let them know what was going on. Yeah, you're probably you're probably right on that. I just, I don't want to see more guys end up like Koscheck, who was never the same after GSP busted up his orbital. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's an unfortunate thing. I mean, you know, it's one of those it's one of those situations where it's unfortunate that these things happen, uh, you know, in, in fights. But listen, you know, these guys didn't sign up to be, you know, these guys didn't sign up to be, you know, artists and writers. They signed up to punch each other in the face. Now, you know, that's one of the reasons I say, listen, no one no one said you had to be a fighter. No one said I had to be a writer. No one said you had to host a podcast. We choose to do the things that we like to do, uh, and so. Uh, you know, listen, I understand it's unfortunate when things like that happen. I, I hate seeing, I mean, listen, Koscheck, you know, I think he's been, uh, you know, trigger, trigger shy ever since that moment with GSP. We saw it in the fight with Ellenberger. As soon as he got popped one time good in that eye, completely changed the dynamic of the fight. He, he, he was holding his head back. He was, you know, hesitant to throw hands. You could see the kind of panic setting in because I, I believe that injury changed the course of his history forever. Uh, because I think that was just one of those injuries that he just never was able to get past. And listen, everyone's body is different. Some people heal quicker than others. So it's just it's, it's the nature of the sport. It's unfortunate that things like that happen. But, you know, listen, it, 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 I mean, things like this happen all the time in football. Things like this happen in other contact sports. We just can't bury our heads in the sand and believe that it's not going to happen. That's you no, know, that's true. You raise a good point there. And uh, speaking of artists, uh, you and I, we're both big music fans, and there is a slight bit of musical controversy at UFC 185 regarding Matt Brown's walkout music. Jamie Josta, the band Hatebreed, with the solo project, you and I both know this because, you know, you host the uh, great MMA debate with Mr. Brown. Uh, he was supposed to, he, Josta went, he wrote and recorded a track for Brown to walk out to. He was giving it to the UFC to use gratis, so he wasn't charging them licensing fees. He didn't want sync royalties from it. He was just hoping to maybe pick up some direct sales off his Bandcamp, which is just hq.bandcamp.com. And then at the last minute, the UFC cut, sorry, they nixed Brown's choice and uh, had him walking out to Avenge Sevenfold again. Uh, you were there. Do you have any more information on what happened? You know, I, I mean, I, I wish I did. I mean, I talked to Matt yesterday, and if you listen to our podcast, not to sit here and advertise, but if you listen to our podcast yesterday, Matt you know, was on the show uh, back from Dallas, and you know, he basically explained that when he submitted his music, uh, you know, they, you know, the the guy from the uh, from the UFC's department, whoever handles that, basically got back to him and said, you know, Dana nixed it. You know, Dana said no, uh, which you know, Dana, you know, has the final call on you know any song getting approved for a walkout song. And uh, I don't know the reason behind it. My honest, my honest opinion, uh, because this has happened before. It happened with Chris Camozzi once when he tried to walk out to a Jamie Josta song. And, uh, you know, so I, I truly believe it all boils down to the fact that Jamie Josta sings for a band called Hatebreed. And I, I got to believe that Dana, you know, thinks Hatebreed because, you know, the, the name, it sounds like, uh, you know, something that would be like, uh, you know, white supremacist or I don't know what you think, you know, some sort of, you know, band like that, you know, some sort of, you know, uh, uh, you know, hate band, I guess is the best way to say it because of the name. Yeah. And... Yeah, and, and I believe that's the reason why. But obviously, if you're a fan of Hatebreed, as I am and as a lot of people are, 
you know, you got to understand Hatebreed is just a name. It means nothing beyond the fact that it's a name. Uh, you know, their their songs are a lot of, you know, a lot of their songs are really about overcoming adversity and, 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 and the, fighting against hate. Uh, they're the Tony Robbins of hardcore. Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where, you know, you hear a title and, and, and you know, I, I brought this up in my post fight column and, and I'll say it again here now. Now listen, if you're gonna if you're gonna stop somebody from walking out to a song because of the message they send, don't stop hate breed just because their name, because their message is actually overwhelmingly positive. You know, let's stop a guy like Eminem who openly talks about killing his wife and choking women and you know uh, all these different things he talks about, you know, hitting women and things like this. And listen, I'm an Eminem fan. I'm not saying ban Eminem. I'm not. I'm not for banning anybody. I'm for free speech. But I'm saying if you're gonna ban somebody for you know just typically bad speak or bad you know language or whatever there's far 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 worse people being used for ufc broadcasts than hate breed oh certainly and i mean half the stuff that joe rogan says in his podcast is worse than a hate breed lyric <laughs> yeah i mean listen you know we can sit here and pick apart all day about the bad things that are said out there listen you know it's 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 one of those things it's just like you know anything else when it's you know just because it's not popular speech doesn't mean it should be banned i'm a big fan of everyone having free speech i'm uh, with you there you know so you know but i understand it's a ufc broadcast they have the right to say what makes their error and what doesn't make their error. i get that but again, if you're going to start playing that, you know, that role of, you know, banning people from walking out to certain artists, uh, you know, maybe you should dig a little deeper before banning a band like Hatebreed, which has nothing to do with anything uh, that would be considered, you know, controversial, in my opinion, uh, while you're allowing, you know, far, far, far worse artists who have said far, far, far worse things and done, let's be honest, far, far worse things. Uh, you know, than, than, than anything Hatebreed has ever done. So I know Brian Stan had said on Saturday night he's going to talk to the UFC about it. Uh, you know, I talked to Matt yesterday, and, I, you know, I hope, and, and, I, and I've openly said, you know, when I have a chance to actually uh, see Dana White again and actually have a conversation with him, I didn't really get to see him much over the weekend in Dallas. Uh, I'll be out in Newark for the upcoming Fox card. So I'm hoping to get a few minutes with him and, uh, you know, lay it out for him and explain. Not because I'm an advocate for, for Hatebreed, although I'm a fan, just to just to basically, you know, hopefully make him understand, you know, what is what this band is about and, and, and make him understand, you know, it's not just a, a title of a, of a group, you know, just I don't know. I don't know if it'll do any good, but but I'd like to have that conversation with him. Oh, it's definitely, you know, I'd appreciate it because I know my metal side was like rage. And I mean, it's not even the first time the UFC's nixed an entrance. Uh, sorry, a walkout. I remember going back to Tamden McCrory versus Dustin Hazlett. Hazlett said he wanted to walk out to Thunder Horse by Death Clock, and that got nixed. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, you know, a fighter walkout song, I get it that, you know, there's a certain, I don't know, a certain song or a certain, you know, lyric in a song that you don't want to be said or whatever. I get it. You know, there's certain controversial things. I mean, it's a, it's a UFC broadcast. It's a walkout song. They're not trying to make political statements. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, coming from a guy like Dana White, who I know is a big music fan, uh, you know, he's a huge Rage Against the Machine fan. And Rage Against the Machine, obviously, is one of the most politically sound bands in the world. They say a lot of controversial things in their songs. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of which I agree with. I mean, I'm a huge Rage Against the Machine fan. Uh, but that's the point. You know, you can be a big fan of them. But, you know, that's what I said. Their name just happens to be Rage Against the Machine. But they're very, very political in what they say in their lyrics. And that's what I say. If you're going to ban somebody for what they say, then you know, then 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 it's going to have to go far wider than just calling a band hate breed. You're going to have to start digging yeah. into what a lot of people are walking out to. 
definitely. I mean, I don't expect them to ever clear anybody walking out to dying fetus, although that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, there's, you know, listen, I understand. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a band. I'm not going to say because I don't want to curse on your air, but there's a band uh, with the. You can curse. Feel free. There's a band out there. Maybe you're familiar with a band called Anal Cunt. I mean, there's, of course. there's far worse bands with worse names than Hatebreed that I'm quite sure would be banned by the UFC. And you know what? I'd be okay with that. Okay. I'm not, I'm not advocating for, for AC to get played in the UFC broadcast. Uh, so I get that, you know what I mean? And I understand that that's not going to happen. And you know what? I'm okay with that part, but banning a band because it's called hate breed, just because the word hate is in their title just seems misinformed and childish, you know, do a little research and yes, They've been they've been misappropriated in the past. There was a CNN report a couple of years ago that labeled them as a white supremacist band, and about two Again, seconds no research. Yeah, and, and about two seconds later, they had to issue a retraction and an apology because clearly they were wrong. Uh, so, you know, again, it's just one of those things is it, it, it takes, you know, five minutes of, of, of Google time to figure out what hate breed is all about. Google their lyrics, Google their interviews. Uh, I've talked to Jamie Josta before and, uh, you know, he's a really good guy. And, and the worst part about this for me is, is that Jamie's a big MMA guy. He's a fan. Uh, he's a you know, sponsor. Yeah, he's a sponsor. But it's also, I mean, just at the end of the day, he's a fan. He loves the sport. He loves watching the sport. You know, I think we should embrace a guy like that. We should we should invite him in and say thank you for supporting our sport. Because there's tons of guys who use other songs for walkouts who couldn't even who couldn't care less about MMA. And that's fine, too. I'm not saying that every artist who we play in a UFC event has to like MMA. But we should embrace the ones who do. Definitely. I mean, it would. That was the first time I've seen UFC getting any mention on any of the metal news sites I read. That was the first time because Jamie Justin did that walkout track for Matt Brown and that made people want to go check out Brown. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you know, music, we have to remember how much bigger music is than than, you know, MMA. I mean, music, you know, transcends so many cultures and and uh and like I said, having that cross section of a of an artist like a Josta, like a Jamie Josta who is a huge UFC fan, to have them bring in people, you know, to that. Uh and it just like I said, it just seems crazy not to allow it. I mean, like I said, and and I mean, if I was a fighter, and an artist that I was a fan of, and I know for a fact that Matt is a huge Hatebreed fan, to have an artist not only say, you know, hey, I I'm a big fan, which would be awesome enough, but then to say, hey, I want to write you a walkout song that you can use from now until forever for free. You know, you have free reign. I don't want anything out of it. You know, you know, have fun, enjoy it. I mean, how awesome would that be? I mean, think about that. Like, my favorite band is Muse. You know, like, I'm not a fighter, but if Muse came along and they said, hey, we want to write you a walkout song, we want to write an intro for your podcast, I would freak out. I mean, I would be off, I'd be bouncing off the walls calling everybody I know about it. Uh, so, Wayne and Garth, we're so, not worthy. Yeah, so imagine, you know, a, you know, a band that you're a fan of saying, hey, we want to write a song for you, and then to have it next, man, it's a little bit of a, a, little bit of a broken heart, I got to imagine. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're we're just lucky that Barnett still gets to walk out to Bolt Thrower. But I mean, that's pretty entrenched at this point. Yeah, I mean, that's like I said, it's just it's just crazy to me that, that you know, things like this even really I just it, it's crazy to me that things like this have to be discussed. You know, it's like I don't get it. Why are we at this point in 2015? You know what I mean? The, the With the information that we have at our fingertips. The fact that just because a band is called Hatebreed, they're banned from from a broadcast just seems crazy to me. Uh, I like I said, I don't get it. I don't understand it. If there's more to the story, and I don't want to sit here and say that you know this is the only reason. I mean, I just that's all I've ever heard and all I've ever been told as to why they're not allowed. If there's some underlying reason why, uh, you know, I'd love to hear it. 
But from my understanding, you know, uh, Jamie and, and he's never, you know, talked to anyone at the UFC. They've never contacted him. It's not like he had some kind of dust up at the UFC years ago and they just don't want to allow him. I don't think so anyways, but I hope not. Yeah. So outside of that, it just sounds like it comes down to the name of the band and, and it's just unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, so I want to stick with the music thing, but uh, we're almost through the first quarter of the year. Who's had the best walkout music so far? Oh man, you know, I, last year, you know, it's funny the, the 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 song that sticks out in my head the most over the last year, uh, over the last few months, happened in December, not this year, but December was Robbie Lawler walking out to uh, Sam and Dave, uh, yeah. "Hold On, I'm Coming," which is an awesome song, awesome oh, soul dude. song. That, that was when I did my top five list for the year. That was my number one. Yeah, that was such a cool walkout for that song. And I actually talked to Robbie about it. And he said that actually one of his uh, one of his coaches actually suggested him to do it because he had been walking out to Eminem. Uh, the song yeah. "Beautiful," I believe, is what it was. And so he had his coach actually said that you should switch it to this because this kind of you know it has the spirit of what you're doing right now. You know, with the the comeback and everything. And uh, and I thought it was pretty amazing. You know, I'm trying to think what other songs would be. I mean, there there's no better. Well, I, I think the best walkout in MMA right now. You know, a person that uses a walkout consistently. There's no better in the business right now than Ronda Rousey. Uh, with Bad Reputation by Joan Jett. I mean, there's not a song that embodies a fighter and embodies their attitude better than that one. Uh, so as long as Ronda Rousey continues to use Bad Reputation the way she charges to the octagon and that song and the lyrics, there's not a better walkout in the sport right now than her walking out to that. Yeah, agreed. And uh, who's got the worst? Because for my money, it's Misha Tate walking out to Roar. Yeah, you know, I mean, listen. If you're a Katy Perry fan, that's pretty funny. I, I gotta give my, I gotta give, uh, you know, my buddy David Mashad, uh, who is who's a good guy, and uh, I like him a lot. Uh, he walked out to, uh, uh, it wasn't Justin Bieber. Who'd he walk out to? I can't. Remember, Miley Cyrus, or I can't remember what it was. One of those like pop bands, and my my head about popped off my head when he, my my head about popped off my shoulders when I heard him walk out to that. Uh, but yeah, Katy Perry is pretty bad. I'm not gonna lie; that's definitely not up there. Although I will say, you know, I, every time I hear a Drake song pop on the speakers, I want to just—I just literally want to put on ear, uh, noise canceling headphones and bang my head against the desk because uh, I can't stand Drake. I, I don't like him one bit or his music. So I would say that's—I don't have one person to single out for that one, but I would say whoever walks out to Drake is is near the top of my list as well. All right, I'm just going to apologize on behalf of Canada for Drake. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny is I, I'm the biggest I'm the biggest lover of Canada. Like I I love Canada. Like I love every time I get to go to Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal, I love Canada. But man, you guys have sent us some rough artists. I mean, Nickelback, Justin Bieber, and Drake. That's that's a rough trio to send down here, man. I know, I know, but hey, we did give you strapping young lad. You gave us Rush. You gave us Finger Eleven, who is one of my favorite bands. For oh, I don't know. dude, <laughs> I didn't know they. I mean, were big there, or anybody knew about them on the stateside. They were great. They still are great. Yeah, Finger. That's actually Finger Eleven was my first tattoo. It was a Finger Eleven tattoo, actually. Uh, nice. Yeah, back in like two thousand one or something. Yeah, my, I actually met the band, and uh, I'm a huge, huge Finger Eleven fan. So yeah, those guys. Uh, Tea Party. That's another uh, another Canadian band that I was a big fan yeah. of. So yeah, okay. there's, there's a lot of great Canadian bands out there. It's just a, listen. There's far more from the United States that are bad. It's just right now, Nickelback <laughs> and Justin Bieber kind of stick out in my mind. Yeah. No, I I completely understand. And again, we're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> But it's all right. Canada has so many other awesome things that, that we can forgive you for those three. Yeah, no. Thank you. <laughs> all right. So uh, have you got anything big to plug? I know Nerdcore Movement's still plugging along. You still, you've got your Gotham and your Walking Dead reviews coming up, as well as the other news and uh, notes. Uh, anything coming down the pipeline there? 
Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we've got the, uh, you know, the season finale of The Walking Dead coming up in two weeks. So that's going to be a big, you know, big week for us uh, for Nerdcore Movement. Obviously, April 12th is the debut of Game of Thrones, which is, uh, you know, one of our biggest uh, one of our biggest shows on the site. So we're going to have a ton of coverage coming up for that as well. And then, of course, this summer, I'm headed back out to San Diego. I'm actually missing International Fight Week this week. Uh, Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo, I'm actually missing that fight, missing that entire week because I'll be at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, so... Huh. Unfortunately, I won't have much for you on Aldo McGregor, but I'll have plenty for you from San Diego Comic-Con. All right. And on Fox Sports, do you have anything else coming down the pipe? Uh, today, I actually, uh, funny enough, I actually have an interview coming out today with uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, who is quickly becoming one of my favorite people to talk to in this industry. Uh, I had a chance to talk with him last night. And that guy always has a couple one-liners to uh, to zing people with, and he had a couple uh, for, for Cowboy Cerrone and, and even Rafael Dos Anjos. So if you get a chance, check that out. It'll be out later today. Uh, Khabib's a great dude and, uh, and a really funny guy to interview, and so uh, I'll have a feature out on him a little bit later today. And then tomorrow, as we gear up for the weekend, uh, talking to uh, Damian Maya as well. Looking forward to him coming back this weekend. So stay tuned. This card this weekend, not the biggest star stat card, not going to lie, but there's still a lot of fun fights and uh, and those fights that uh, kind of slip under the radar. And Dominic Cruz told me yesterday, made a great point. He said, these are the kind of fights that should remind you of the WEC back in the day when all those guys were just trying to prove themselves, to prove they were on the level of the UFC guys. And they'd go out there and put on these crazy, exciting fights. He said, this feels like a WEC card where there's a lot of guys trying to build their name, a lot of guys trying to make a name for themselves and the way they do that is by going out and putting on exciting fights so that's one thing i do enjoy about this car which is a little bit more unknown but there's gonna be some fun fights this weekend definitely and of course you're all as i said you're uh, one quarter of the great mma debate with uh mark coleman and matt brown and i'm sorry i just started listening i never quite catch your other co-host name uh, Jeremy Loper. He's actually a uh, actually a radio host here in Columbus. He works for the uh, the biggest rock radio station in Columbus, 99.7 The Blitz. And uh, I'm a regular on his show over there uh, doing segments and stuff. And then we all decided to uh, to start doing a podcast together uh, last year, actually right around Matt Brown's fight with uh, with Robbie Lawler. We decided to all get together since we all live in Columbus. And uh, yeah, we've been doing it for at this point going on about eight or nine months. And uh, it's a blast with those guys. I mean, it's fun to be around uh, Matt and Coleman. And uh, and we always have a blast putting those shows together. All right. And uh, what, lastly, is there any place anyone can find you on social media? Just give them where they need to go again. Yeah, just go to Twitter. I'm at Damon Martin. It's very easy to find me. So yeah, follow me on there at Damon Martin. I tweet far too much. So you'll see plenty of stuff on there for me. All right. Well, thanks again for your time, Damon. Always a pleasure to talk with you. If you need to find me on Twitter at Stormland Brand, and I, I'm going to take a quick time for a personal plug. I just put out a new EP musically. You can go to stormland.bandcamp.com and pick up the True North Strong and Cranky EP for just $2. And I'm going to throw this back to Jeremy after a word from our sponsors. Thank you. Do you ever wake up some mornings, try and have a coherent thought, and all you hear is... Well, you're not alone. And that's why Onnit has Alpha Brain. Alpha Brain is designed to help you with mental alertness and acuity, and it's available at Onnit.com, along with many other fine products like T Plus and Shroom Tech Sport, in addition to their fitness equipment like their kettlebells and battle ropes. So go to Onnit.com and use the promo code MMA Sucka, that's M M A S U C K A, to get ten percent off your order. That's onnit.com, O-N-N-I-T dot com. And don't forget to use the promo code MMA Sucka, M-M-A-S-U-C-K-A, to get 10% off.
There you have it, folks. Another awesome episode of Sucker Radio here on MMASucker.com. Thank you to my guests, Jeremy Botter, Ryan Couture, Justin Perot, and Damon Martin for their unpopular opinions. And, uh, you know, some news coming out this week. The tough fighter, you know, Ultimate Fighter Brazil 4. Um, the cast was announced this week. Um, there's some fight announcements this week. From the sounds of it, rumors going around that Ronda Rousey and Betch Correa are going to be squaring off in the main event at UFC 190. Whether this is true, who knows? But uh, that's what the rumor swirling is. And swirling as well is the co-main event between... <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> the the co-main event between Little Nog, Antonio Rogerio Nogueira, and Mauricio so- Shogun Hua. Uh, should be a good one. Hopefully those rumors aren't false and we get to check it out because those are some good fights right there this past weekend we spoke about UFC 185 with Jeremy Botter and from the sounds of it Rafael Dos Anjos will be out three months with a partially torn MCL yeah he fought that entire fight with a partially torn MCL in his right knee that takes some serious balls Uh, in that same fight Anthony Pettis broke his orbital bone early in the fight Dos Anjos popped him uh, with a good one right in that eye, and he will be out at least six weeks with that uh, broken orbital bone. Not much else on my end. Make sure you follow MMA Sucka on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Follow myself on Twitter at JeremyBrand604. And I don't know if you saw it earlier this week, but head on over to MMASucka.com. Mike Fagan, good old Mike Fagan over on MMASucka.com, wrote up a piece, a UFC 185 review, and uh, he was given crap to the commentary team for the way they pronounced Joanna Jojajic, her name. I know, it's a tough one to pronounce. I have a tough time myself. So he was given crap to that. And what did he do? He came out with a little YouTube video. It's a, it's about a minute and a half long with all the different pronunciations of Joanna, the champ's name. So uh, I'm going to round out the show with that. Hope you like it. Listen and, and tell me how you pronounce the new champ's name. With that, I'm out. Joanna Yon J. Check. Johanna Yonjecek. 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 Johanna Johanna Yonjecek. Johanna Yonjecek. Johanna Yonjecek. Johanna Yonjecek. Johanna Yonjecek. Johanna Yon J Check. Johanna Johanna Yon J Check. I'm Yon J Check. Johanna 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 Yon J Check. Johanna 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 Yon J Check. Johanna Yon J Check. Stop for Johanna Yon J Check. Yon J Check. Johanna Yon J Check. Yon J Check. Yon J Check. Johanna Yon J Check. Yon J Check. Johanna Yon J Check. Johanna Johanna Yon J Check. Yon J Check. Yon J Check. Yon J Check. Johanna Yon J Check. Yon J Check. Johanna Yon J Check. Johanna Yon J Check. Johanna Yon J Check. 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 Yon J Check.
Jon Jacek. Joanna 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 Jon Jacek. Jon Jacek.